and currently we've got um, over 100 students doing that in the senior school, we said, okay, let's sit down at our end of year reflection time with our middle leaders and ask the question, are we meeting the needs of the students? Do we need to inquire um, what is next for Sacred Heart Girls College over the next um, five to ten years? Listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 18 of the NZPE TeacherCast. Today we're speaking with Andrew Murray who is a passionate Deputy Principal from Manawatapu or Sacred Heart Girls College in New Plymouth. We're covering a few topics today but the focus is going to be around the school-wide inquiry that kicked off in Term 4 last year. It's my first time speaking with a senior leader on the podcast and I'm really excited. So Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks Carl. Good to be here. Good to be here. So um, before we get started, actually, before we even start the first question, um, up at my mother-in-law's and the weather has just started to get really bad and it's I'm in this office and it's really noisy, so hopefully it doesn't um, kick in too much. Um, but where, whereabouts are you calling from? I'm in uh, New Plymouth. I'm a Deputy Principal at Sacred Heart Girls College in New Plymouth and I'm sitting in my office Thursday evening and rain is another issue with me um, over the last week. In fact, this afternoon when I was driving home, we had hail almost as big as your hand. Well, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but it was incredible. Hail over and just, and just look at it. Amazing, amazing. So we may get a deluge during um, tonight's session. So we'll wait and see. All good. I, uh, my, my daughter... I've got a son and a daughter, a two and a four year old, and they saw hail for the first time a couple of weeks ago and it blew their mind. They <laughs> ran for their gumboot and jumped down on the deck. It was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling with my own daughter. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Right, right. I've um, been teaching since uh, 1994. Um, I, I started at Francis Douglas Memorial College here in New Plymouth. I'm an old boy of Francis Douglas, and I went back to my school to begin teaching. Um, and uh, along the way, I've had a number of experiences. After becoming uh, registered, I uh, went to the United States for a while to, to do a bit of study. And then I ended up like um, most Kiwis, I did a bit of an OE and ended up in Australia and um, teacher, taught in some um, couple of schools in Australia, which was a fantastic experience. And uh, you know, I think of some of the things that we are, uh, are doing today, which are cutting edge in New Zealand, and some of the things were occurring in Australia at the turn of the century, um, especially something like the flipped classroom. That was something that was being spoken about at that stage. Um, so I, I came back to um, New Zealand in about the year 2000, where I was um, Director of Religious Studies at uh, St. Bede's College in Christchurch. And after a couple of years there, I moved to Francis Douglas again, where I was boarding master. And uh, from there, I went to St. Mary's College. After um, you know, a number of years in boys' schools, um, I thought it was time to try out single-sex girls' schools. And they've been very good to me ever since. So I, I was um, Dean at St. Mary's Girls' College um, in in Wellington, and then that's led me to my current role in 2011 to now, where I'm a deputy principal at Sacred Heart Girls College in New Plymouth, um, and my primary responsibility is um, uh, the senior school, which is year 11 to 13, and um, the I lead the uh, the curriculum leaders here at the school. So that's been, I suppose, my story. Um, and I suppose Sacred Heart, if 
what we want to know about it. It's a it's a decile eight school. Um, it's all uh, all good. It's Catholic. It's year seven to thirteen, uh, and it's a school that um, I suppose in our in our city that we're we're different to the other schools. New Plymouth is a city where it's got a boys high, a girls high, a Catholic girls and a Catholic boys, and a co-ed school. So we're not really competing with other schools because we provide a different experience, I suppose, to the co-ed and the girls high school. Mm. So you, you've um, quite a few, you've got a kitchen experience and you right. had that time in Australia and you have done, yeah, Francis Douglas, is that, is that a co-ed or is that a boys' no, Francis Douglas is, um, is, an, is male version of the school I'm at here. It's all, all boys, year 7 to 13. Um, most notably famous, um, it should be for its academic results, but it's also famous at the moment because it's the um, the former school of the Barrett brothers and also Conrad Smith, um, all, all blacks. So um, nice. that's very, very, very highly thought of as well. So what would you say is the biggest difference from going from a boys' school to a girls' school? I, I think it's uh, my experience. It's the it's the motivation. I, I see. I suppose the girls from day one of the year are switched on, and they want to know what they need to do to um, to get their results. Okay. While the boys, I noticed, uh, are more of a focus on the externals of the year. While the girls, let's get all our internals. Let's get excellences for those, and um, then we'll face the externals later on. Uh, so that's that's the difference, I suppose. Um, both um, all girl all boys um, both had a focus on culture. Both had a had a focus on sporting and um, excellence. And this has been in each of those girls, uh, girls and boys schools that have been in. You know, Saint Bill, Saint Bede's College has a very high reputation throughout New Zealand. Um, as does St Mary's Girls College in Wellington. But I suppose, Carl, I, I might note and mention tonight too, I've only taught in Catholic schools in my, mm. in my career. Um, and I say to colleagues um, that I think I'd be lost in a, in, in, in a, in a state school. <laughs> I, um, I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So um, that's something that I haven't done, I suppose. Why do you think there's that, that difference between agendas and motivation, you mentioned the females being more inclined to put the effort in early as opposed to the boys who kind of hold out for the externals or, or not hold out, but, you know, they've kind of, they rely on them a lot. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. I suppose I find girls, are, they're a lot more intense and they are, you know, wanting to do the right thing. And this, I'm being very general. So this evening I'm being very general, but my experience has been that that they want to be on time they want to be they want to look right they want to make sure their work is correct while I've, i noticed with boys is they're a little bit cruisier and we'll get the job done when it occurs and probably um let's get the poison out of the way and then we'll focus <laughs> on the externals and you know uh, especially in those all boys um traditional schools um where uh, sport is regarded as you know quite just um, a, a great former headmaster once said to me, um, it's, a, it's a great shame that our, our schools aren't measured on um, academic success, rather they're measured on the success of their first 15, which is quite yeah. true, quite true. Yeah. So we're hopefully going to discuss a few things tonight, um, the place of inquiry within your school, um, investing in middle leaders and future focused learning. So late in 2016, your school proposed that um, an inquiry into future curriculum. Now, this, this question has uh, a, a few parts, but what was the impetus behind this decision? Was it, say, a weak point in the school? Um, can you tell us about how you arrived or how the school arrived at that point? I, I, it's a really interesting story, actually, Carl. I, I suppose it, it goes a little like this, is that our academic performance is really good. Um, you know, literacy, numeracy, it's 100% at level one. And um, we were really, we're, we're really flying. And, um, you know, that's not blowing our own trumpet. That's the, the data's there. But what we looked to do was we, we'd just come off a few changes um, in a couple of years before that we'd um, successfully just implemented a, a mentoring program, which uh, 
put into the timetable where once a week we had a lesson where a student would be with uh, a teacher would be with 15 students and this was from year 10 to 13 and they would be mentored and it was mentoring time there was time to study the teacher would talk with each particular student as the weeks progressed and in that time would be all of those things that occurred like um, you know visits from universities and visits from speakers so we were uh, we, we were taking out of we took out those disruptions and we set a sense of calm in the school so we were in a position to do something a little bit different at the same time we'd also just begun to successfully implement a um, uh, learning with digital technology uh, program or BYOD and we'd done some work with Microsoft and uh, we'd had a, a year's contract with Core and we were so successful that we went around for a second year with Core. So we were in a very, very strong position and I suppose what, what it looked like is that we had conversations that this learning with digital technology was complementing the whole idea of what pedagogy in the school looks like. And at the same time, so as you can see, I'm building our story. There were a lot of things going on. And then finally, we had a, we were a situation where there was a new subject that was being born in our school. And it's occurring, I think, um, nationwide. And it's a subject we called Pathways. And that is our learners were wanting to take subjects that our timetable did not offer. And uh, we, we wanted to, you know, students were saying, you know, in the traditional English and maths, we're wanting to do certain standards, which we could cope with. But there were students that were turning up and saying, hey, look, I'd like to, I'd like to see um, German, or I'd like to study Spanish, I'd like to do legal studies, I'd like to do event management. And it was things we weren't offering. So we put them all into a class and they were doing stuff online from a variety of providers. So with those numbers growing, and currently we've got um, over 100 students doing that in the senior school, we said, okay, let's sit down at our end of year reflection time with our middle leaders and ask the question, are we meeting the needs of the students? Do we need to inquire um, what is next? For Sacred Heart Girls College over the next um, five to ten years, and that's that's where that's where the um, inquiry began, I suppose. So when these the, the students were wanting these subjects that you weren't offering, and you placed them, were they just in say one or two big classrooms, or were they aligned to teachers that could support them through that online learning that they might have been doing that uh, maybe your staff weren't trying to do how did that, how did that so work? we we we've currently got um, um, two staff that are the pathways coordinators and they are working with outside providers eg to and aligning them with um, with, uh, with with teaching staff outside of the school eg Takura, uh, or it could be at other schools or other providers so they are coordinating the nuts and bolts the logistics if you like but the content is being done by um, that specialist teacher from um, elsewhere. And it's really problematic because, you know, the, the sorts of things that our students are want, wanting to do, um, it's really hard to find a staff member that has that particular skill set or even to have a staff to cover it, um, you know, with one or two students, like my example before is event management or um, we've got um, one student doing sound engineering and they're doing that with a provider. Now, it's what the student really wants to do. They're highly successful, but it's tough for us to, to, to cope. And um, it'll be really exciting over the next few years to see where this goes. I think really powerful that the school can acknowledge that it's uh, it's something that they don't offer, mm. yet not shut the door in a kid's face and say, well, actually, no, we're going to go and find a way that we can make this happen mm. for you and seek outside support and outside help. So that's, um, and and that, I know that's hard, and you said that brings up a whole lot of problems. But I think I always say that um, problems problems are good mm. to have. If you have problems, it means you're you're challenging the status quo. You um, are pushing the limits, and that's yeah. why those problems, so those problems are good to yeah, have. Outstanding point, Carl, because 
you know, this is the conversation our uh, Hof group had, is that, um, you know, who's at the centre of this? It's the students, and are we meeting the students' needs? It, it, it mm. wasn't, um, okay, uh, this is the subject I teach and this is what it's going to be. It's uh, how are we going to adapt our subject, how are we going to adapt what, what we are um, on offer? Because in my opinion, and it's been shared by our Hof group, we're at a watershed moment in education with a lot of changes occurring. Yeah, yeah, mm. I like that. You gave me access to some documentation to help me right. prep for this interview. And within that, there was this great quote by John Maxwell from the book, Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. And it went mm. like this. If you want to make discoveries, if you want to disrupt the status quo, if you want to make progress and find new ways of thinking and doing, you need to ask questions. So how important is that for us to be challenging the status quo or disrupting education? Hey, it's, it's, it's mighty hard, Carl. I'll tell you what. It's, um, I think bef- in, in, like in terms of our example, as I, as I answer this question, you've got to develop that relational trust. You've, you've got to develop a culture on staff that um, everything is going to be okay, um, that there is going to be change, but we need to ask hard questions and you need to prepare for people to have those, um, uh, to, to face up to some of those hard questions. And there was a lot of preparation that sort of has been done around that. And, you know, I'm excited when I look around the room with my Hof group now because they are people that have been on a journey. We've been on a journey together. Um, but I suppose one of the things we talked about was that um, you know, as educators, we want our students to be critical things, you know, to question and to um, be critical of us. And we teach them to, you know, cite data and we, we, t- we teach them to, you know, that the teacher doesn't know all of the We want them to challenge us. But sometimes I know as SLT, we don't like it when you've got, somebody on staff that says hey i don't know if i agree with that you know it makes us uncomfortable so i suppose one of the things that we're saying is as uh, slt as middle leaders let's encourage those voices and let's encourage those conversations because some of those people that are disruptors are actually going to be an important part of the change mm. and i've i've been in I've been a, a middle leader for about nine years now, I, I think, mm. and I've I've seen this firsthand on a number of occasions where middle leaders just shut up shop and they're not prepared to contribute because um, they they're scared of having those those difficult conversations or they're scared of um, I, I guess any sort of kickback from senior leadership and they, and they don't want to be put in that position. Mm. Um, I think it's so important that we are asking those tough questions and, and we are trying to trying to challenge the status quo and not be, be prepared to, um, I guess, accept everything at face value and dig a little bit deeper because that's where a lot of um, change and adaptation and adjustment is going to come from really exploring a little bit deeper. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree, Carl. I, I call this... Um a, 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 a peer on staff, she she calls this messy play, and and I <laughs> I encourage this messy play. You know, so often as a as a middle leader, you get to your meeting and you've got the list of jobs to do, and you want to get through them, and then we'll get to next week's meeting. But what what I'm I'm trying to encourage, I suppose, is that it's all right to have meeting, and of course we don't want to do this every week because nothing will be achieved. But hey, let's just have some conversation. Let's have some debate and just see where it goes. And, you know, that messy play is good stuff because it's classic inquiry. Inquiry doesn't have to have an answer, eh? No, no. And, and it's not because uh, a teacher doesn't, doesn't necessarily or, or is disagreeing with what has been suggested or implemented, but it, it's just a way, I think, of getting a better understanding and packing things a little bit better by challenging it. It's not... You know, we've got to, I guess, step out of our comfort zone a little bit, but be prepared that, um, like, I keep coming back to the word that those difficult questions or difficult conversations, you've got to have them. And that uh, messy play is the perfect place to have it. But we just all need to be aware that there are going to be eight, nine, ten different opinions, and we need to respect everybody's opinions, and it's not somebody coming out and attacking. You know, nobody's attacking each other. It's just just ongoing learning. Exactly. It's it's that... It's that creating a culture of um, 
a, a safe culture. It's creating, which is again, I suppose, connected to um, some things that we've got going on at our places that um, we're, we're part of the restorative contract and uh, PB4L. And um, some of the work we do, we're a very relational school. And because of the way we approach problem solving, um, it has created a culture where, yeah, it's all right to actually question. And it's um, as SLT, I hope, well, I think, we're pretty transparent about stuff and it's open door. Hey, come in, let's chat about it if you don't understand or if you think there's a better way because um, especially with those middle leaders, they're the leaders of our school, eh? You know, yeah. um, I've got a little sort of a term for them, I suppose, at the moment. I'd, I'd like to rebrand them actually just leaders of learning because um, yeah. they, they're leading their little area, but they're actually leaders in all sorts of aspects of the school. You know, if, if you haven't got these middle leaders ticking, um, it doesn't matter how mighty your SLT is, you're going nowhere fast, eh? <laughs> I yeah. agree. So following on from that that quote I mentioned before, did, did the school develop a focus question to guide this inquiry that they were doing with the Hoffs? Yeah, we... we um, I suppose it's all a mindset change too, and this we may talk about this later on, is um, in term four we create time for, um, as probably many schools out there do, we, we create time to you know sit down and reflect on the year. And uh, our, our Hoff group kicks off these particular days, and we take a day, and it's not about logistics. It's not about nuts and bolts. It's not about when, what day you're going to do your assessments next year. It's about true reflection on how things have gone, how we could do things better, and ask some difficult questions about your own leadership practice. And that's when we started to develop this question. And um, our, our head of faculty inquiry question was born out of this particular day. So it was co-constructed, if you like. But that question emerged um, uh, before, before the summer break. And then after doing some work with me um, and some people at um, Victoria University, um, we then uh, again fielded that question to the staff and we got them to brainstorm around that. And uh, that also was the success of why this question is, is this because there was buy-in. And what I've done is, is, is developed a document um, which I shared with staff which was the um, key word terms and phrases over the previous 12 months at staff meetings that had come up when discussing um, curriculum or pastoral issues. And we wanted to link those to the question, and it was developed through a Wordle. And so staff could see, oh, he was my boy six months ago, and that's how you got to that question. So it wasn't seen as SLT, have gone and had a coffee and they've come up with this question, it meant, okay, here's some evidence of how we got to the question. Um, the Hoff group were sat around in a table and co-constructed it. So, you know, we couldn't you know, say, oh, well, I didn't have any input because we all did it together, I suppose. And that's part of the success, I would say. Did when, so the, it was co-constructed with the Hoffs and the leadership, is uh, that right? With, with the Hoff group. Who, uh, which I lead and the other DP is part of, and it, that was then taken to the rest of the SLT, who isn't on that, which is only the... So um, there was that total transparency, and as we'll talk later on, um, the, the Hoff group was able to see, well, look, there's no... No one's come up with the answer already, and we're not leading you down a track. It's, in fact, we don't know where this is going. You know, we don't know what the answer will be as an answer because we've constructed it together. And so, you know, we took it to the, the um, to, to a staff meeting with all staff who could have a look and add their little comments. And then even from there, we took it to the board when we looked at our annual goals for 2017 and we explained it to them and they had a little bit of input as well. What I want to know is when you mentioned that staff were given an opportunity to contribute. They, did they get to feed up beforehand or they contributed after maybe the question had started to be established by the no, health group? No, they, they, they had the opportunity to uh, feed up um, after the reflection day 
And we also use data from staff meetings before um, our reflection day, that previous um, 12 months about what were some of the key terms that had been used. So we were able to, which is which is a really important part of the process that we've found, is keeping the staff in the loop. That's the greater staff because we've got a Hof group which is involved, they've been doing the visits, they've been doing the reading, uh, but we need to be keeping the rest of the staff alongside us too. And that's a key part of the inquiry, I believe. I, I like the approach with the staff voice, the mm. Wordle, so that they can, that's visible, they can see their contribution mm. throughout the year where they have been um, contributing. And then I, I like how um, they, with the the buy-in that gives the buy-in because it's all co-constructed and when you do co-construct and you contribute um, explicitly to something the buy-in is just just so much greater we see it in our classrooms you know you never want to you know I encourage my staff to not plan um, their year you know in term four plan out the next year because the cohort they're going to get in is going to be a lot different and who knows whether what you plan now is going to be relevant to our students meet their needs so when it's co-constructed with those students and the same thing with your staff and your hoffs, the, the buy-in is just so oh, much better. It, it, it is. And in fact, it's it's quite ironic, I suppose, you bring that up because one of the conversations that's popped out of the inquiry so far has been um, learner or student agency. And are we doing enough of that? Because we've sort of had an aha moment of going, well, we're, we're asking and doing lots of feedback and feeding up to greater staff, but in our classroom, are we doing that enough? And um, so there's even more questions, more questions than answers, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So fast forward to the start of this year. Was there any groundwork that needed to be put in to get the inquiry up and running? Or was it this kind of, I guess it just flowed on from term four? Yeah, it just flowed on. We we were in probably, I'm I'm a great believer of the time must be right to do um, particular projects, as, as I mentioned earlier with our Learning with Technology uh, uh, project a couple of years ago, it was the perfect time because we'd um, had a staff member who had been um, awarded a, a scholarship through Microsoft. Um, I'd responded for um, two, month, two terms out of school to do some work and we brought, and we also were on the, co- the core contract, so we brought together some intellectual property. With this particular inquiry, um, it again was an illustration of that perfect storm. We've had um, our DP, one of our DPs return after a year's leave, and she's doing some study at um, Victoria University um, in that um, master's uh, paper, uh, a master's course, which is very highly thought of down there. I think it's um, to do with secondary mm-hmm. school teaching. Um, and at the same time, I was awarded the uh, NASDAP scholarship to, uh, to uh, Auckland and the Bay of Plenty um, this year to go and look at schools that were uh, doing innovative practice. So that gave me an insight. And our head of science was awarded a Royal Society scholarship. And he spent the first two terms away from school having a look around at his at schools and his own practice and to develop his own inquiry. So as you can see, Carl, it just all sort of came together that the time was right. Um, and as well, you know, results are going well. So we're at a point that we're able to um, perhaps make changes. It's not as if there is a key aspect that we might be struggling in. Mm. Right? Yeah. Hey, uh, just, just going back to we... Did we um, establish what oh, your focus our, question, our, the inquiry our focus was? question So our focus question was, um, what will an innovative learning environment look like at Manawatapu Sacred Heart Girls College? So all innovative learning environments. And of course, that doesn't just mean the physical. And that was a conversation yeah. that we had from the start that, you know, we thought, does that mean we're going to build, build new buildings? And we said, no, it's, it, it's, it's, about, it's about timetable, it's about pedagogy, it, it, it's bigger stuff, it's big picture things that we're looking at. And uh, that is some, one of the things that we've really focused on is that it's got to be more than let's have 90-minute periods. Um, and yeah. there's got to be, we've got to ask the question why, and, we've, and, and that 
comes up, I suppose, again later in our conversation of some of the things that we've looked at and to that those key themes that we've got so far um, after um, uh, a few months' work. I, I'm I'm a notorious early adopter. Yeah. And I think in education, we've particularly around technology, we've we've jumped into some things really without thinking it through properly and thinking about the implications and how we're going to manage it. Um, so I, 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 yeah, what we do and 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 how we innovate, it, it really needs to be um, come back to that good pedagogy. And is it going to be good for our students? Is it going to be good for our teaching? Because if it isn't, then it's really yeah. And, point insightful point there, uh, Carl. Um, You've obviously got a really high-functioning staff. You know, scholarships all over the show. What, what do you What do you think? Why do you think you're operating at that level? Um, number of reasons. I, I, I think uh, first first of all, um, we've got an outstanding principal. She um, is just one of those great leaders. Very relational, inspires people, um, treats people really well with a lot of respect and you know you know really values people and wants people to grow it, it, it's like that sort of classic sports coach that sort of check uh, from you know the Patriots or that Alex Ferguson from Manchester United it's she wants to grow people to be successful and you can't help but want to just do well and then underneath that we've got so many super talented teachers who love our environment and, uh, you know, anywhere else, some of our classroom teachers um, would be middle leaders, but they choose to do what they want to do because that just makes them happy. And so our Hof group, we've been really lucky that we've seconded maybe about four extra people onto the Hof group who we see as innovative thinkers that have contributed to this journey and uh and, and having those extra ideas, those specialists, those people that ask hard questions, different personality types has just been part of our success, I suppose. Isn't it amazing when you have such a, a stunning leader? And I, I, I feel for some teachers out there that haven't, I mean, you, you've, you know when you've got a really good leader and I know that there yeah. are teachers out there that just haven't had good leaders um, my, yeah. my my fantastic leader in education was Prue Kelly when I was at Wellington High School. Oh, yeah. She was just she was absolutely stunning, and it really frames the entire school and the staff, particularly the staff, when um, they feel respected and they're given the ability to branch out and take their passions and run with it and try all of these things without fear of being reprimanded or told off. And they have their full support yeah. of their principal. It just makes such a massive difference in your ability to teach well. You're, you're so right there, Carl. It's, um, I think Paula, Paula Wells, our principal, is someone like that, that um, you know, she'll go into bat for you. And, um, you know, she may disagree with you, and it's that classic, you know, if we can be closed the door and you know, we can totally disagree, but when we walk through that door, you know, she's, she's, and I think the staff feel that. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm same philosophy as you, Carl, in terms of schools that I've been at, now I've got to be honest. I've I've been attracted to because of the principals. You know, the, the leaders of those schools have inspired me. Um, you know, I, I look at St Mary's. I, I went there because of Mary, who was a uh, was a fantastic leader at that school, um, and, and someone who uh, was very innovative and you know created change and inspired others. And I think that we all need those role models in education to make us. It's, it's, it's a part of why you get up in the morning. It's you know, there's someone there to inspire you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. One thing I'm a massive fan of is, is seeking help and support from people who are leading or already innovating in our current space. So throughout term two, your mm. school worked with a couple of other schools, and also you had some guest speakers or a guest speaker from Hobsonville Point. Can you tell us why you took this approach right. and what the highlights for I, you and your staff were? All right. Okay. So we were we were very selective, and again, this was feeding. If we had a staff meeting, and we talked about our area of research, and we, we talked about um, you know share and feed into us, you know, some schools that we should be going to visit, and we generated a big long list. And of course, we haven't got a, an endless budget, and uh, we ran on the smell of an oily rag, and um, but we sent people out to schools that people had read about 
things that they had thought, oh, this is going, I've heard some really good things about the school, let's go visiting. And you know, we went to Auckland and went to schools that were similar to ours, year 7 to 13 schools, all girls Catholic. Um, we went to schools around Taranaki, what they were doing in terms of you know, innovative stuff. And um, I'm not going to embarrass them, but, uh, but, they, uh, but I will. You know, Patea Area School in Patea is doing some fabulous stuff. You know, do a Google there and you'll find that um, some of the innovation that's occurring there is just superb. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we targeted some schools to look at and we sent people on teams. We sent people out either twos or threes. And the reason for that was so people could look with different eyes and then come back and then put together what they heard and saw. And this is a very similar method that we used when we put together our own mentoring program about four years ago. We sent people around the country at other to look at other schools, their mentoring programs, and we sent teams because you know a, one person going away may just see it with one lens, but these but two or three people came back um, with different viewpoints. And we also pulled together that were looking with different lenses that were not in the same faculty or science and maths together. It was, um, you know, the head of arts and the head of science went together to Partia, for example. So it was different, different um, individuals. Again, with this whole theme of the perfect storm, uh, one of our EPs had his son teaching at Hobsonville Point. And, uh, you know, we've all read a lot of literature about that fabulous school and, uh, the, you know, their wonderful leadership team. But we did some talking and we thought if we sent people to Hobsonville Point, perhaps we might be distracted by the bells, or, you know, the different things they're doing with the buildings. And we may feel, you know, get a little bit down because we can't do that sort of thing here. And we'd also, we only can send two people up there. So our thinking was, how about we bring Hobsonville Point to us and we can get as many people as we can uh, in the room and we can um, question a teacher from Hobsonville Point and he can tell us their story. And by going that way, hey, look, um, I'd love to go up to Hobsonville Point and have a look. But by doing it that method, we had the whole Hoff team as well as um, some extra staff able to listen and do a bit of Q&A with a, um, with a teacher from the point. And the, 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 the richness of that conversation is just indescribable. You know, we had, it was a Monday afternoon beginning at 3.30. It was five past five and we had to pull the plug because he had to jump on a plane. <laughs> and um, it, it, again, all those barriers about were cut out of the way of um, having to, you know, if we'd actually sent only, say, two people up there. So again, it was a different way to um, a different way to approach the, the the school visit model, I suppose. And it also meant more um, more of the group were able to have a bit of um, experience with an outside school because that was our intent. We wanted everybody to see at least one outside school that they um, that they that they had never seen before, I suppose, so that add to their own experience and they could take back to their faculty. Mm. I, I just did a quick Google of Patia Area School and their header is growing yeah. good people for a changing world. And that's that's so simple, but it's so meaningful. It's so powerful too. Oh, it, it is. I, I'd, I'd, and they're probably, you know, they're far too busy to have thousands of people going down there. But I think it's... Um, I suppose it also could be part of the Taranaki narrative that here we are out on the um, out on the coast of North Island, and we you know we're not Upstate Highway One. It's a hard place to get to, but it's New Zealand's best little secret. And there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening in education in Taranaki um, that is just mind blowing. And you know, if you take a look at some of those schools, it's um, you know, it's it's worth having a look. It's worth doing a bit of a Google, um, and there's some. Even if you look historically, um, you know, there's been some movers and shakers in education that have spent time in Taki um, over the past, you know, in our history of New Zealand. So um, yeah, it's 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 a good place. It's a real good place. So you know, Patia Area School, um, something that um, is worth having a look at. Nice. 
Right. You've collected some you've collected some student voice and, and parent voice recently. What are some common themes that you're seeing coming through and how are you using this data to guide the next step in the process? Right. Um, the uh, the parent the parent voice was really interesting because um, they were really happy about what how things go. <laughs> and um, I, I, I suppose one of their key their, their key things were um, create were, was all about citizenship, um, about resilience, um, and they you know, appreciated the strong support of um, of the community here at Manawatapu. Um, so really, I, I think it would be more relevant, I suppose, to spend more time on the, the student voice, which we're really proud of in this inquiry process. Um, you know, and you know, I say, Carl, this isn't you know the be all and end all of inquiries. But what I've liked about this process so far is that we are, um, you know, coming up to twelve months into it, over twelve months, because there was the inquiry before the the actual question, and it's been lots of buy-in and it's been lots of individuals. And with the staff, with the student survey, it was the students that ran it. And they have they took um, uh, up until June to finally impl- implement the survey, and it was one of those occasions where um, you were sort of um, going back to them and saying, "Well, you know, how far have you got? And show me what you've got so far. You know, have you got your questions?" And the students would say, "Oh, not really." As you know, the student <laughs> council led it, and you sort of wanted to be as teacher say, "Hey, how about we do this?" but it had to be authentic student voice, and that's what it was. So they formed their questions, and so we gave them um, a morning off school after they had got um, their survey response, which they did through a Microsoft form, and also a um, student panel where they um, had some data. We gave them a morning off school to go into the boardroom and then uh, put the survey together and come up with some themes and they ended up coming up with about five themes and suggestions. And it was really interesting. You know, they talked about things like um, introducing STEM into the school um, throughout each of the subjects and, you know, growing that particular area and even having STEM as a module, which I thought, well, that's, that's really, you know, innovative. And they, they didn't want to have things like STEM as a lunchtime club. They said, it doesn't work. It's got to be embedded into subjects and perhaps as a module um, as, as well. Um, they, they were also had a focus on well-being and you know some some work around nutrition and mental health and, and things like that. So it took a long time, but the students really had buy-in and they owned the document, which they presented staff at a staff meeting and they took Q and A on it, which um, I. <laughs> I thought was rather brave because there were some things in there which which were pretty tough for some staff to hear. Yeah. When, when they were developing those questions, were they looking at it as an opportunity to shape their future curriculum? Yeah, 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 they did. They did. They The mandate to them was given the inquiry questions that the Hoffs had and we said, I, I gave them the same sort of, I gave them a sort of, fast forward course of where the Hoffs were up to and I said to them um, we're looking for big picture stuff you know we're not looking at things like let's have more maths lessons a week or let's have a seven period day or let's have let's look at some bigger picture things and have a look at a special on um, you know what it might look like for our current you know, year nines when they're in year 13. And as I talked about that, it was really cool that the student council straight away picked up the idea of, okay, we're going to survey everybody, but how about a special panel with our year seven students? <laughs> because they, um, they're just coming out of primary schools. They are actually pretty edge in terms of innovation because the theme I'm seeing around the country, Carl, again, I'm, it's real general, but I'm seeing our primary schools are early adapters. They're into this innovation, and sometimes we hit secondary school, there's a whole lot of assessment, and sometimes that innovation stops. 
and these kids were, were coming in from schools where everybody had an iPad, um, where there was uh, uh, team teaching, and there were modern learning environments. And these students were able to put really articulately um, where they saw education going. So that the Year 7 panels were, were really good, even though you know some of them were 12, you know, 13 years old, um, there was some deep thinking going on. And um, some of our good results, um, I can see out of uh, see I can see out of those conversations. That's that's where they got the evidence from. Um, and of course, in addition to those um, Microsoft uh, uh, forms surveys. Yeah, and and I I don't think you're generalising too much with those students coming in from primary to intermediate to secondary and how secondary are really you know cutting off their creativity and that sort of thing. It is really sad to to see and hear that that's what people are experiencing. Um, yeah. And we need we can learn from from primary, and it's good that the kids acknowledge that. Um, I, I suppose um, one of the things too, you know, we can't emphasize. I suppose we, we've got to emphasize too. It's it's no fault of the secondary system. It's that we're we're cluttered with so much assessment, aren't we? Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I love the Hobsonville Point model of you know cutting back on um, you know not having level one. That yeah. you know students are going to be burnt out because it's not the assessment, and that's something that you know. As a teacher, I think it's going to—I find it hard, and that's something that's been learning for me. And I think it would be something for our community too, if um, uh, to, to say let's cut back. It's not about the assessment. That um, uh, there's a mindset of hey, look, it, it is all about respect. No, it's not. It's about process. So, looking to 2018 and beyond, how do you ensure the focus and impact of all that really good stuff you've done through the inquiry this year? How do you how do you ensure that that's sustainable moving forward? I suppose we're we're starting to that stage now, and sustainability is all about um, you know our, our findings, and our findings again are being co-constructed, brought together by the group, and those findings are very general. They are being um, all based on evidence. Like if there is a theme, that for example, one of our themes. It, that seems to be coming up is um, creativity and innovation have to be expressed um, and supported in the school. You know, support those staff that are showing that innovation. It's based on, for example, two schools that we visited and a piece of writing by Mark Osborne. So it's all linked to data. So it's not... Um, this random stuff that we just went into a room and said, hey, this is a good idea, let's go. All of our findings are based on the research that's been conducted over the last four months. Um, and I suppose that's why it's going to be hopefully sustainable is because of that reason. Yeah, you can't, you can't, I mean, the data's there, the data doesn't lie. And if it says it's good for your school in a change, then, you know, the staff are, are going to be more... That, that buy-in's just going to carry through to, to 2018 and beyond, I think. Mm. So last last question, and I always try to finish with a bit of a funky one, um, but I don't know you too well, so I had to go trawling through a recent Twitter post for something interesting, um, but it didn't take me long to find something. So recently you posted the following tweet, digital fluency is not just about using the computers, it's about everything. All teachers need to be of technology. Can you please elaborate on this statement? Hey, this this came from some writing I was doing um, after reading some stuff on the um, uh, core website, and it, it, it might have been it was from it was something from um, Derek Weymouth, and it got me thinking. And after um, I, I read this piece, I was talking with our student council as they were putting their curriculum um, survey together, and someone said to me, hey, "Mr. Murray, you know." Um, one of the things that you've got to let everybody know is that um, that, that um, learning with digital technology isn't just about taking the subject, it's everywhere. And it really got me thinking. And I was thinking, yeah, I suppose that's so true, is that, um, that, that having the ability to, 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 to use digital tools, the, the whole idea about digital literacy, fluency, 
is not just about computers, and it, it's actually about SIP. And, and it actually leads me to another point which um, I was talking with um, a panel that I'm preparing for for the um, National um, uh, APDP Conference in New Plymouth was the fact that, um, that, that our young people, they tell me that um, our young people are, are addicted to social media and they're addicted to um, digital tools um, and, and it's a bad thing. But really my thesis is actually they're not addicted to Facebook or uh, uh, Instagram or Snapchat. They're actually addicted to their friends and their friends are on social media. And if we were to remove so they're removed from their friends. And it's just like any other occasion when we were growing up before social media, um, if we went away from a holiday, we, we're away from our friends. And it's even uh, more uh, uh, highlighted today because um, ever since, you know, in their experience, you know, they know that their friend is hanging out with other people because there's a group chat and they can see everything that's being said or it's posted on Facebook. Me and my friend are having a group and if you're the third party, you know all about that because you're seeing it on social media. So I suppose um, that's um, that, that's the upshot, I suppose. I like it. I like it. You've um, yeah, that's that's a fantastic way of thinking about that influence of social media and friendship and relationships and stuff like that. And and wrapping things up here, I, I think what I can take out of this the most, and and I really appreciate you for taking <clears throat> excuse me the time to. Um, and have a chat about this stuff because it has been really interesting for me personally and I'm sure my listeners are going to feel the same but it's really clear and and evident that in your role as a senior leader you really value the relationships that you have with your staff in particular your heads of faculties and and, and your students Um, but you've you've got this really um, the, the lens that you have and the way you interact with your staff is really clear and it, it comes mm. through in the way you talk about them and your approach to this inquiry. And it's really inspiring to hear um, somebody talk with such passion around that. So thank you for sharing your stories. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to take a look and check out some of those schools that you mentioned. And hopefully some of our listeners decide that, hey, maybe um, they want to come and check out what Andrew Murray and the staff are doing at your school. So thank you so much for, 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 for chiming in with your thoughts and stuff like that. Hey, thanks a lot, Carl, for your time this evening. And uh, any time, come and look us up here at Sacred Heart, Girls College in New Plymouth. Um, I'll buy the first coffee. <laughs> All right, cheers, mate. All right, cheers, buddy.